This is WPRB in Princeton, New Jersey. Community-supported, independent radio. And now at 5 p.m., it's WPRB News and Culture. I'm your host, Adam Sanders. I'm sitting here in the studio with one of News and Culture's most esteemed reporters, Natalia Maydeek. Um, as we begin our plans episode, Natalia, why do you think you're in the studio today? Well, I know that I'm in the studio because I signed up to create a segment for this episode and I have no segment to be spoken for. You planned and? My plans failed. <laughs> Her plans failed. Um, and, you know, this is something that we should have expected, um, both because in, in journalism, as we both know, having an idea or a pitch for a story does not always mean that story makes it to fruition, but um, also because th- there's a saying that we were just chatting about, Natalia, um, and that saying is, we plan, God laughs. Regardless if you think there's a God laughing at your plans, um, I think we can all agree that uh, <laughs> the, the things that we spend the most time thinking about and working on don't always end up happening. And sometimes the most fruitful stories and the most fruitful events can come from unplanned moments. I thought it'd be interesting for this episode of News and Culture where we're talking about planning and we have stories that are all about, you know, very robust and segmented plans and also about plans that kind of come from throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks to start with a conversation about when plans don't, you know, don't go to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so like for my segment, we wanted it to be about city planning and, um, you know, deciding what businesses gets permits and everything like that. But, you know, now I wasn't able to talk to anyone about that. So my plan didn't go how I wanted. It's a minor dream, but I had a dream to tell a story about city planning and dreams sometimes just don't come true. So thinking about the stories you're all going to hear on the air today, um, you know, these people are making plans for the future, but something interesting to think about is whether those plans will even happen. That's for sure, especially with the ones that are like way more robust than anything that Natalia or I do at WPRB News and Culture. Um, So don't think of this as a disclaimer necessarily, but think of it more as the opening to a cautionary yet aspirational tale that we're going to tell today on News and Culture. We spoiled it a bit in the opening, but yes... Today's episode of WPRB News and Culture is all about plans, goals we set, step-by-step lists that we make, and the way these machinations do or do not come to fruition. We've got three great stories for you this evening. First, Sophie Lahenny and Pat Great visit a tarot card reader and try to intuit what plans the universe may have for their future, and whether or not these so-called plans can or should be trusted. Then. I speak to undergraduate student organizers at Temple University in Philadelphia who are attempting to organize undergraduate student workers into a labor union and learn more about their plans for the future. And finally, in a story from our archives, Clara McWeeny and Izzy Jacobson speak to a self-proclaimed mistake baby, i.e. the product of an unplanned pregnancy, and learn about what that was like for him. Stick around. We'll be right back. WPRB wants you to know that if you live, work, go to school, or pay taxes in the city of Philadelphia, you should sign up for a free Library of Philadelphia library card. You can gain online access to ebooks, audiobooks, movies, music, digital learning resources, online programming, and much more. To apply for a card or learn more, visit freelibrary.org. 
This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported, independent radio. You're listening to WPRB News and Culture. First, Sophie Lahenny and Pat Great visit a tarot card reader and try to intuit what plans the universe may have for their future, and whether or not these plans can or should be trusted. What would you do if you knew the future? In an attempt to answer this question, Pat Great and I, Sophie Lahaney, met with a psychic, Miss Sylvia Daniels, to learn what exactly a psychic reading is, the information it can provide, and the role that she hopes spirituality can play in a person's life. Miss Daniels operates out of her house in Hamilton Township, New Jersey. And when we first arrived, we walked around to the back of a white, modest American-style house, and we were greeted with a friendly smile and the sounds of meditation white noise in the background of our tarot readings. Sophie went in first, and I sat in the waiting room, viewing little paintings and little Christian statues placed above me as I sat and waited for my tarot reading. We began with a general tarot reading. I sat across from Mrs. Daniels at a round table in a tiny separate room. As she shuffled her cards, I noticed the many objects that filled the room, including a crystal ball on the table and numerous images and icons of Jesus positioned on the shelf behind her. She then split the deck into three and asked me to choose a pile. Perhaps predictable, but I chose the middle one. For those of you who don't know, tarot refers to a deck of cards that can be used for cardomancy, a form of divination where cards are used to reveal possible insights about the past, present, and future. Emerging from Europe in the mid-15th century, the cards that are now associated with tarot readings were actually used to play card games, and their use in divination began around the 18th century. Tarot is not intended to precisely tell you the future. Specific future-related questions would be better for a crystal ball. However, tarot intends to give you an overarching reading of yourself, your life, and offer vague guidance for the future. Miss Daniels does tarot readings and a variety of other readings that range from learning about oneself to more specific guidance as well. What are the different kinds of readings you give and how do they differ and like what are the strengths and weaknesses of them? So a palm reading is a character reading. It tells you about yourself within the lines of our palm. So we could see our love line, we could see our health line, we could see our marriage line, our success line, multiple lines we see within the palm. Then I have the tarot cards which tell you past, present, future between love, career, family, and health. I have the crystal bowl where we tune in onto one or two areas that you're most concerned about. We'll see exactly what's going on, what's making it better, what's making it worse. I have past life regressions. Uh, if anybody is ever curious about who they was and what they did inside of their past lives, we definitely tune in on to that. I do medium readings where we pick up on loved ones that we have lost and we're able to communicate with them. I have aura readings as well too to get more in depth with your aura and how to always keep it maintained, balanced, aligned, and bright. I do spiritual balancings, I do chakra balancings, the list goes on. Because Pat and I are new to the whole learning the future scene, we decided to start with a general tarot reading. My reading started with a description of the type of person that I appear to be according to the cards. They said that I was the type of person who always speaks their mind. I'm a go-getter, so to speak, and I'm always going out and trying to accomplish the things that I desire. 
Mrs. Daniels then connected this understanding of my present self to my past lives, of which I have supposedly lived many and had vastly different careers in each one. She then gave me some insight into my future and how it relates to this present and past. She told me about success, specifically financially, in my future career, what type of love I should look out for, and that I am likely to live to my early 90s. My reading started out with my selection out of the three decks as well. Sophie and I hadn't coordinated, but I chose the center deck just the same. Miss Daniels laid out the cards and spoke as they were drawn. I learned about some of my traits currently, and some of the changes I was to experience in the future. I was set to move out to the west, and good times are coming for me and my family. I was told around what time I'll be married, what time I'll have kids, and how many I was to expect. I was relieved to hear about my future, so seemingly set out for itself. In the present, I was given hints on how to proceed, just as any knowing life coach would give. I was told that someone in my family will need my help soon, and will look to me for it. That I must make sure that I help them when they need me. Most importantly, however, I was given two initials to look out for, that would have to watch my back in the upcoming future. What was interesting about these two readings is that we received different types of information from the cards. Different details about our present and future seemed to reveal themselves to Mrs. Daniels. While learning about our auras, career potentials, and outlook on love was cool, even more interesting was the opportunity to learn about Mrs. Daniels and her life's work. How did you get into tarot and spiritual readings? I was born in it. It is passed down to every third generation inside of my family. So my grandmother, she was Mrs. Daniels. Of course, she had the gift. My mom, she did not have the gift. And then I was gifted. So around the age of 10, I started to feel people's energies. And I didn't know what was going on. I was telling my mom. My mom was like, Sylvia, I can help you. But grandma definitely could. So grandma taught me for about two years how to get familiar with the tarot cards, with the crystal balls, reading the energies, reading the auras. So I've been doing it since 16 years now. Wow. Yes. What kind of role do you see yourself playing in someone's future or someone's endeavors? A life coach. That if you come to me, I will provide you with the knowledge that you need. I will tell you if it's a good decision that we need, that there's minor tweaks that we need to fix. Uh, uh, spiritually, you're off balance, like we need to balance out a chakra, or you need a cleansing, or you need a balancing, or if that person just from the get-go that we need to get rid of that person, or we need to leave that job, or we need to make a big change inside of our life and who we are. How connected do you feel in your community as a psychic, as a, um, or I apologize, that might not be the right word. What word do you prefer? No, 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 you said it correctly. How, I, in my community, very connected. You know, we're Romani. So the Romani culture is very gifted with this gift. So I have cousins, aunts, males not so much, but there is sometimes that males are gifted. So I definitely have a big community that are psychics as well too. What do you hope people take away from their readings? Like, how do you think a reading should shape somebody's future plans and intentions? So I would always want everybody to come in with an open mind. I don't want anybody to feel skeptical about coming in. 
because it definitely could give you a wrong type of read. I rather you come in open-minded and understand that we're not changing the future in any single way. We're just giving you an example of what you need to be looking out for. Just providing you with more clarity, bringing more awareness to your situation, whether it's for love, whether it's for your career path, whether it's to your sp uh, spirituality as well too. I was wondering, uh, what does your average customer look like? Do they come in stressed? Do they come in doubtful? A little bit anxious about their future? And if so, does that change your reading? No, it does not change the reading, but I do see a lot of people anxious. I do have people coming in that is very familiar with readings. They're constantly getting them done. They always come in every couple of months. And it, it really, honestly, it varies. But the most thing people do come in for is love life. While knowing exactly what the future will bring is impossible, Tara provided us with an interesting outlook on life some reassurance about our current trajectories, and some potentially helpful information to inform our future plans with. So with our plans, we can approach the future seemingly more informed. Lastly, what is Mrs. Daniels planning for? What do you think the future of like tarot readings and this kind of spirituality practice is? And like, what do you hope to see in the future? People are getting so involved with it, and I love it, I love it. But definitely take your time, don't be in a rush. Definitely make sure that you're doing it correctly. It's you need to be more acknowledged about it if that's reading. There's multiple books about reading tarot, but I really do like that people are getting more involved with it. But if you're ever unsure about doing a reading for yourself, definitely come in, see a psychic. They'll definitely give you confirmation of the read that you picked up on, or maybe a little bit more. For WPRB, this is Sophie Lahaney and Pat Great. Thank you for listening. WPRB wants you to know that if you're a renter in Philadelphia, you should know your rights. PhillyTenant.org has everything you need to know about your rights and obligations as a tenant in Philadelphia. You can find information about security deposits, leases, evictions, repair, lead testing, housing assistance, and much more. That's phillytenant.org. A live help for low-income Philadelphia renters is also available by phone 9 a.m. through 7 p.m. Monday through Friday at 267-443-2500. This has been a public service announcement from WPRV Princeton, community-supported independent radio. You're listening to WPRB News and Culture. Next up, I speak to undergraduate student organizers at Temple University in Philadelphia who are attempting to organize student workers into a labor union and learn more about their plans for the future. Tommy Roll is a freshman at Temple University in Philadelphia. He's studying to be a teacher, but cash has been a concern. Financial aid doesn't cover nearly enough of his tuition. He's already taken out $25,000 in student loans. 
and he has to pay for food and books on top of that too. So for 10 hours a week, Tommy's not just a student at Temple, he's an employee. He works at the university's law library whenever he can fit a shift between classes. Tommy gets paid $10 an hour, almost $5 below what the Economy League of Philadelphia classifies as a living wage in the city. It didn't seem like there was any other option. And then he saw a flyer on the wall. Undergrads need a union, it said. And that was really before Tuac became what it was. Um, it started out around, I guess, four or five or so people. We would meet kind of weekly and kind of uh, devise a plan to see how we could get more people involved and what are concrete actions that we could take place to um, actually work towards our goal of unionization. Tuwak, the group Roll is talking about, is the Temple University Undergraduate Workers Organizing Committee. They're trying to organize undergraduate workers at the university into a labor union to bargain for better pay, better conditions, and more transparent hiring practices. But Temple hasn't been so receptive. I think really they want to ignore us. They don't want to acknowledge that we exist. Otherwise, then people might realize that we do have potential. Tuwak is a part of a push across the country for workers of all kinds, including students, to unionize. Last year, students at Grinnell College in Iowa authorized a labor union. Students at Kenyon College in Ohio have been trying to unionize for more than two years. These colleges claim that a union would get in the way of the educational mission of the institution, that student workers are students, not employees. But Temple's undergraduate workers aren't phased. They've seen unionization succeed at other schools and at workplaces like Amazon and Starbucks, and with it, bring material benefits for workers. Jess Churchman is a senior at Temple and one of the co-founders of Tuwak. She sees the undergraduate unionization push as part of an evolution in the national conversation about labor. There are campus workers making as low as $7.25, and I think that there's a general labor awareness um, among young people. It's not as taboo as it was, you know, in other generations in America. It's unfair. It's ridiculous that Temple is paying such low wages considering inflation. I mean, you can't buy lunch with an hour of your work. That's, that's ridiculous. On their own campus, Tuwak has seen the success of the Temple University Graduate Student Association, or TUGSA, who successfully renegotiated their contract with the university just a month ago after a 42-day strike. We definitely refocused our tactics um, to doing everything we could to support TUGSA and their strike. Um, but it actually greatly helped our, our um, campaign as well because we got massive visibility from it. A lot of students had never heard of the idea of a union um, at a school. They didn't know that professors had unions even. Tuxa has existed since 1997, but this past year, as the union's contract with the university reached its expiration date, it began to renegotiate. Grad student workers who teach courses, assist in instruction and grading, and perform research make on average only $19,500 a year. Tugsa wanted higher wages, healthcare coverage for their dependents, and protection from overwork. Temple wouldn't budge. We bargained in good faith. We gave up chunks and chunks of our proposal every single time. We would take three steps back, and they would take maybe a quarter of a step forward. That was Reagan Davis, a master's student in political science at Temple, and one of the leaders of Tugsa. By the time that we held our strike authorization vote 
in November of 2022. They were saying that the maximum raise that we could get was 3%, which for context, inflation between the time that our previous contract had been negotiated and the time that they gave us this 3% offer was 18%. So it was a 15% real-time pay cut. The union made the tough decision to strike. I think a lot of people who kind of casually observe labor struggles don't necessarily know if you haven't been involved is that a strike is big and exciting and it gets a lot of people looking but it's also a last resort a strike is an act of desperation it is something that you do when you have exhausted every other outlet for trying to get the rights that you deserve to walk, mobilize, in solidarity, protesting with the striking graduate students and learning about their organization. And they saw as Temple grad students faced serious reprisals from the university for their striking. Temple's immediate response was twofold. One, to take away our tuition remission. And two, to manually cut off our health care. Temple grad students who striked got an email on February 8th, a week in, that their tuition benefits had been rescinded. Most grad students don't pay tuition. As part of their pay, their education is included. But when Temple took away tuition benefits, grad students were on the hook for tens of thousands of dollars. Reagan and Tugsa assert this qualifies as retaliation against striking workers, an illegal offense. But Reagan says that Temple isn't concerned about the tuition or about the fine. They want to make a statement. They want to make an example of us to the other unions. They want to get us back to work as quickly as possible. They want us to stop picketing. They do all of this, and they know that at some point they might have to pay a fine. But that fine is pennies to them. It's so little they could write it off as spillage. Tugsa got Temple to agree to a contract last month. They got most of their demands, a significant raise, some health coverage for dependents, and new guidelines to prevent overwork. Jess and Tommy from Tuwok say seeing this fight and Temple's retaliation against the organizing graduate students has only further mobilized undergraduates to stand up. Something that we often say in the labor movement is an injury to one is an injury to all. We viewed Temple's actions towards Tugza as directly related to our struggle. So the outcomes, the reprisals that were taken against them, we as undergraduates trying to organize workers on campus said, if this is how they're being treated, how will we be treated? For Tuwok, the next steps are building out their union. Here's Tommy again. There, there 100% has been a kind of pivot on paper where in meetings we have collectively decided that it's time to shift to on-the-ground workplace organizing. Now, of course, the issue is that time. Mm -hmm. uh, the semester is ending in, like, at the time of this recording, I think 30 days. Mm -hmm. And so... Really, right now we're laying low, gathering basic information so that eventually, come next semester, we can kind of try and blitz through and get as much done as we possibly can. The idea is you start with the 30 students who might work at the law library with Tommy or the workforce at the Special Collections Archive with Jess. And before you know it, you've organized 30% of them, and that unionizes that shop, and then you organize another shop, and before you know it, you've organized a lot of Temple's 3,900 student workers. And once you've organized, you can negotiate. Tuwok wants a $15 minimum wage, 1.5 times overtime pay, transparent hiring practices, and health insurance subsidies for its workers. 
but they're only at the beginning of this process. First, they'll have to organize. That's a fight they'll probably have to save most of for next year and the years beyond. As this academic year comes to a close, Tuwok isn't slowing down. Many of the founders are graduating, including Jess, but they see their movement as only having just begun. There's a lot of teaching to do and a lot of conversations to be had. There are a lot of really engaged young people in Tuwok, uh, underclassmen like Tommy. Um, I'm not, I'm not worried. I think this is going to continue to be a problem and people are going to continue to want to do something about it. For WPRB News and Culture, this has been Adam Sanders. WPRB wants you to know about Mural Arts Philadelphia. Mural Arts Philadelphia, the nation's largest public art program, exists to provide transformative experiences, progressive public discourse, and economic stimulus to the city of Philadelphia through participatory public art that beautifies, advocacy that inspires, and educational programming and employment opportunities that empower. Take a tour and hear some of the stories behind more than 4,000 murals that grace our city. Learn more by following at Mural Arts on Twitter and Instagram and by visiting muralarts.org. This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported independent radio. You're listening to WPRB News & Culture. And finally, in a story from our archives, Clara McWeeny and Izzy Jacobson speak to a self-proclaimed mistake baby, i.e. the product of an unplanned pregnancy, and learn about what that was like. Happy accident. Miracle child. Surprise. These are just a few of the titles attributed to unplanned children. Mistakes, some might say. Today, WPRB sits down with Jacob Santelli, college freshman, native New Yorker, self-proclaimed contrarian, and yes, a mistake child. I'm 19, I'm from New York City, born in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I have two parents, a mother and a father, um, John and Jennifer, not in that order. Um, and then I have a brother, Isaac. In the Santelli-Hirsch family, age gaps are prevalent, just not where you might think. Uh, funnily enough, my dad is 15 years older than my mom. Uh, they met when he was 40 and she was 25. And uh, then they had my brother when I believe my mom was uh, 33-ish. Uh, and he's four years older than I am. For Jacob, there wasn't some true moment of revelation. The knowledge of his happy accident status has been a fairly constant present in his life. Your parents tell you when you're younger that they use to explain away certain things that you only think critically about when you're a little bit older. So over my gap year, I had a lot of time to think. And I realized that when my parents told me that I was a happy mistake, mm -hmm. that clearly meant that I was unplanned. And I just got to thinking about how, you know, they probably like bought a crib and, you know, picked out things for my brother and, um, you know, probably budgeted for my brother a little bit. Um, and then I just, I popped out accidentally and how, that was probably difficult for two young professionals. 
But it wasn't until last year that he fully understood the implications of the term. I don't have very many memories, period, as a result of doing too many drugs in high school. However, I do at some point know that I was told, probably when I was in middle school or high school, by my mom. And I don't think that it affected deeply my sense of self. However, I do think it has contributed to my idea of myself as a problem maker um, and is maybe anomalous a little bit. Still, Jacob's day-to-day has not been altered much by this realization. It's representative of the role that I see myself in rather than something that's affected me deeply and every day. For Jacob, this role is that of the contrarian, constantly arguing, questioning, and generally going against the status quo. But Jacob does not attribute this portion of his identity to his mistakeness. Instead, finding out he was a mistake simply reaffirmed his antagonism. Still, this side of Jacob has served to inform his attitude towards some situations throughout his life, particularly when he has been perceived as unwanted. Just in various situations in my life, I've, I've been acutely aware that some, some may perceive me as mistakenly being there. And I think I've always tried to prove that my being anywhere isn't a mistake, that I was, that I'm there because of my own merit. At this point in the interview, Jacob pivots to address a more specific kind of mistake, though still one that holds relevance to him. So I, I was at a debate tournament over spring break. And when you're up there and you're, you're giving a speech, you spend the entire time trying to be perfect, to make no mistakes, no oral errors. And the more you focus on that, the more likely it is that you're going to make one. So I've recently realized that if I place myself entirely in the moment and don't think about potential mistakes, I'm much less likely to make them. Jacob, in his day-to-day, but also on a larger existential scale, is constantly faced with this notion of a mistake. To him, though, this isn't always a negative. After all, where would he be without one? For WPRB, this has been Izzy Jacobson and Clara McQueenie. And that's our show. News and Culture is produced at the WPRB studios in Princeton, New Jersey. I'm your host and the show's producer, Adam Sanders. This episode was reported, recorded, and produced by myself, Sophie Lahenny, Pat Great, Clara McQueenie, and Izzy Jacobson. Our editors are Hannah Lee, Clara McQueenie, Alan Plotz, and Henry Moses. The new theme music for our show is Take Me Higher by Jazar. All music used is under Creative Commons license. For more details, visit our website at news.wprb.com. Can't get enough of WPRB News and Culture? Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or at our website at news.wprb.com. That's news.wprb.com. WPRB News and Culture is produced in Princeton, New Jersey by WPRB Princeton, community-supported independent radio. Take care and enjoy your evening.